Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today. I'm looking forward to spending some time with you in Scripture. For our guests, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team here, and I'm very glad that you're with us today. I trust that perhaps after the service today, we'll have a chance to get together and uh, maybe get to meet each other as well. And um, I, we're going to look at Scripture together today, but uh, kind of as a preface to that, I, I would like to do a little reminiscing with you, if, you, if I may. In 1993, Leslie and I... Uh, my lovely wife and I and our two kids, we were living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was, a serv- I was serving a church there, had been in that church for some eight years. It um, had grown dramatically, uh, but that's comparatively speaking. Uh, we, there were about 40 people there when we first started uh, work, uh, leading that congregation. And over those eight years, we'd grown to be, oh, probably 180, some weekends, maybe Sundays. There were only Sundays in those days for us to, uh, for me to preach on and... and um, we get to 200 now and then, and um, they'd suffered through a lot. Frankly, that congregation suffered through a lot uh, of me learning what it meant to be a pastor and how to do pastoral ministry, and uh, they were very kind and gracious to us. But in the late summer, early fall, uh, I would think it was probably around about, I don't know, maybe August into September, uh, two men showed up to worship with us that weekend or that Saturday, Sunday. I'll get it right yet, trust me. And uh, got to get the right nomenclature for what it was like back then. And um, they sat right there, inconspicuous, not. I mean, two guys in their late 40s show up and they're, you know, and they're standing, sitting there in the church and you're going, what? People are auto- automatically, who are they? Well, it was two elders from this church, Rose Skidmore and Bryden Carnahan, were representing the pulpit search team for this congregation. They were looking for a new pastor, and they showed up to see if I might fit the bill. And they sat right there, and I was like, everybody saw who they were, and it was like weird to try to figure out what to tell people and not lie and be honest and transparent. And anyways, to make a long story short, the rest is history. We arrived here January 1 of 1994, and I've asked one of those gentlemen to join me on stage a little bit today. Ro, would you join me on stage, please? Would you welcome him, please? It's good to have you here, mate. Thank you. Sorry I put you on the spot back then, but thanks for mentioning I was 40 in my early 40s. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Did I have hair then? No, no, no. Been a long time. <laughs> so um, let me ask this: How old were you when you first started coming to First Christian? Actually, I was approximately zero. Approximately? <laughs> yeah, approximately. Yeah. So you were you were literally born into the church? Absolutely. My mom and dad were members here for a long, long time. My dad was an elder for I think about thirty-seven years. Thirty-seven years. That's right. Oh my. That's, right. that's cool. Now he's still alive. Is he ever? He'll be a hundred in July. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And he, he lives, he lives with, you, with you and Jan. When Jan signed on for this, I'm not sure it was in her contract to keep <laughs> Grandpa's kids for seven years, but yeah, he lives with us. I'll tell you a little story about him if we got, got yeah, time. Yeah, go for it, go for it. Grandpa Skids is something else. He's, he'll be 100, as I said, in, in uh, July. He's a couple still, of years ago, still driving. Yeah, still right, driving yeah. his car. I can't, um, I can't, can't so find him half the time. I don't know where he is. <laughs> Does he know where he is? <laughs> About half the time. <laughs> I would never say that if he were here. But um, a couple of years ago, he came to me and he says, you know, I'm getting really old. I, 
I don't know if I can pass my test. What, in the state of Illinois, after age, whatever it is, 90, 92, you have to take your driver's test every year. I mean, literally go out in the car and, and uh, pass the test. So he comes to me and he says, son, he calls me son, although I, he doesn't remember him. I got the same name as him, but he always <laughs> calls me son. <clears throat> he says, son, I'm not sure I can pass that test this year. And I said, dad, you know, what do you got to, what do you got to lose? You go try it. If you don't pass it, you know, so what? Um, I said, do you want me to take you out there? You know, if, the, if you don't pass it, they're not going to let you drive home. And he goes, no, I'll call you if I need you. About an hour later, he comes in, he's got this big smile on his face. I said, evidently, you passed your test, huh, Dad? He said, yeah, not only did I pass my test, but they took my eye restriction off. <laughs> he's going the other direction, and we're all getting older. <laughs> so if you see an old guy driving down the road without glasses, that's him. Just clear a path. That's it. <laughs> So those of you who maybe have not met Roe before, Roe's, uh, much of Roe's life uh, revolved around Major League Baseball. He played uh, for a variety of teams in professional ball. And so tell me, uh, how did you get hooked up with, how did, how did baseball grab a little boy's heart? Well, I grew up about a block and a half from Johns Hill Park. Some of you may know, now it's kind of a desolate place. There's nobody there when I drive by. When I was a little kid, it was packed. Little boys wanting to play baseball and basketball, and I used to go over there. Times were a little different then. My mom would let me go out the back door and go to the park and stay till noon, come home and eat, go back and, until supper time, you know. I used to watch those guys playing baseball and, and softball, and uh, quite honestly, I don't know, it's something grabbed me. Got a little bit older. There was a minor league team in Indicator for years and years. Dad had come home from work, and and we'd eat supper, and here we'd go out to the ballpark to watch the Decatur Commodores. And uh, I really liked watching those guys play, but the most fun was about the eighth inning. I'd start tugging at Dad's sleeve, let's go down under the stands so we can watch those guys walk by when they went in the clubhouse. I'd look at them and think, man, if I could ever be one of those guys. I later found out they were 18 years old and 2,000 miles away from home, scared to death. <laughs> but boy, they were something when I was a little you kid. You lived that. I lived it. I sure did. So you, you had talent, uh, baseball talent, athletic talent, and you went off to college. Went, I did. Went, went to Millican, played baseball there two years uh, before I signed my first contract and went back in the wintertime and got my so degree. So you got drafted by the major. You drafted, drafted by the Atlanta Braves. Atlanta Braves. Yeah. What was that like? Well, you know, it's all I ever wanted to do. And there comes a point where, where you sort of think, well, is this ever going to happen or not? And then it does. And the first thing you realize is that in college, it's, uh, you know, let's, let's have fun, let's be good guys, and let's do things the right way. Uh, when you start getting paid, then it's all about winning. You better do your job or somebody right behind you all the time. <laughs> years ago, you told me about staying in a, I for, I've just remembered this, years ago about staying in a hotel where you would try, put yeah, oh quarters yeah. on the floor. If you name an exotic hotel room in Dubuque, Iowa or someplace like that, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> in the minor leagues. In the minor leagues, yeah. yeah. Dubuque had a, had a hotel, may have been Hotel Dubuque. I think it was their only hotel. Anyway, you'd walk in the room <laughs> and flip a coin with your roommate as to who got the bed on the lower side of the room. Because if you got in that bed, you'd, you know, it'd pitch you over toward the, 
towards the wall and you'd run into the wall. If you got in the other bed on the high side of the room, sometimes it'd throw you out on the floor. You could put a golf ball in one side of the room and it'd roll right down. The <laughs> By the way, they had a rope for a fire escape. Just a thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> nice hotel. <laughs> so you're doing minor leagues. You, you went and played in South America? I did. Venezuela. What was that like? That was culture shock. Yeah? You know, they had every, every team down there had three or four or five Americans they recruited to come down in the winter and play. That's their major league season uh, in Venezuela and Dominican and Puerto Rico and places like that. I went to Venezuela. Um, they kept all the ball players in a little compound with a hotel uh, swimming pool right in the middle. And while you're in, inside the compound, things were wonderful. You stepped a foot outside the, outside the fence and, oh, my goodness, a lot of stuff going on out there. You didn't want to go out if you're a big, tall American compared to the little Venezuelan guys. <laughs> what did you learn down there? I learned two things. Well, I learned a lot of things. But first of all, I learned how to cuss in Spanish. Oh. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that in church, should I? I, I, didn't really, I didn't say those words. I just learned that they were... I, <laughs> I mean, you got to express yourself when you strike out three times at night, some way or another. Okay. I figured if it was in Spanish, God didn't care. I wasn't. English. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then the second thing I learned was, if I hadn't learned this word, I would have starved to death. It was hamburguesa. That's the only <laughs> word I learned. Hamburguesa with mayonnaise or cold mayonnaise. Caught That's how it. I stayed like cold. That means with. <laughs> I think. A long time ago. So you're doing the minor leagues, you're doing, you know, Central America, South America, and got called to the big leagues. I did. Ca got called by the Cubbies to go I to did. play Wrigley Field. What I was did. that like? I know half you people will be glad about that, and the other half won't. Go Cards. We never would have hired him. He lied when we hired him, by the way. He's a Cub fan. You know, you, you, you strive for your goals. You beat your head against the wall night after night after night in the minor leagues. And your one goal is to get to the big leagues. That's what it's all about. Um, I got called up to the Chicago Cubs, and it was a, it was a revelation. In the minor leagues, you play in front of 5,000 people on a good night, and you come out of the dugout at Wrigley Field, and there's Thirty-five or 40,000 people yelling and screaming. <laughs> it wakes you up pretty quick. Yeah, what was it like? You, you made it to base on your first bat, right? I did. My first, my first at bat, well, the manager was Leo Drosher. Some of you old-timers will remember Leo. He was a really nice, well, no, he wasn't a nice, he was a nasty guy. <laughs> you know, the typical old ball player guy with the tobacco down the front of him, yelling at the umpires every time. Myself and another couple of guys that got called up Spent most of our time at the end of the dugout behind the post, hiding <laughs> from Leo. <laughs> Even though I wanted to get in the game, I didn't want him to look at me. But um, he calls my name, Skid, get a bat, you're going to pinch hit. So immediately my knees started knocking together, and it was all I could do to walk from the end of the dugout down to the bat rack. <clears throat> and uh, my number was 15, and in the bat rack... Uh, the bats stick up out of the bat rack and the knob, you have your number printed on the, on the knob. And uh, so you can identify where your bat is. So I'm going to pinch hit in the big leagues, my first at bat. And I'm trying to be cool so nobody 
really thinks I'm not used to this, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, I couldn't find a 15. <laughs> there was no bat in the bat rack with 15 on it. Where it went, I don't know to this day. So anyway, after kind of, you know, looking around a little bit, I grabbed a bat, somebody's bat, I don't know who, went up and got a base hit my first time against the Cardinals. Oh, oh you're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I know some details to the story that at 31 years of age, you said, I'm not playing ball anymore. Age 31, I played actually for 12, 13 years, uh, night after night after night. It's a, great, it's a great game, and it's fun to play. Wayne, you and Leslie been on the road. You know it's tough out there on the road. It's not all playing. The last, year, last year I played, we were in Decatur in the winter, Florida for spring, for spring training. Uh, I got sent to Pawtucket, Rhode Island with the Boston Red Sox. I was there three weeks. Got traded to Houston's AAA club, which was in Des Moines, Iowa. My beautiful little daughter sitting over here. I uh, was in four, school, four schools in the last, what, two and a half months of the school year. <laughs> anyway, pretty tough on your family. So I decided I had to get a real job. What did you do? Well, old, all old ball players sell insurance. That's what I. <laughs> what else would I do? <laughs> but you know, I, I I was fortunate because I because I uh, had my degree, and you, that's, a, that's a good thing. I went to Millican in the off season, got my degree, and um, I had that to fall back on. I knew I could get a job because my my major was physics, so um, physics. I didn't did I say physical education? <laughs> There's a difference. Uh, uh, they sound a lot of. They sound a lot alike. They sound a lot alike. I get them mixed up sometimes. Anyway, unfortunately, all I could do was teach and coach. That's what I thought I would do. The income they were paying the teachers back then was about I don't know a third or something of what I was being paid to play baseball. I had accumulated dogs and houses and kids and had a lot of responsibilities, so I just went the natural way of a ball player and sold insurance for 33 years. Let me ask you this. Where was God in all of that journey? It's a great question. You know, when you're, I mentioned being out on the road, when you're 2,000 miles away from home and by yourself, got a little money in your pocket, it's awfully easy to go down the, the road that uh, probably isn't the best one. And you see a lot of guys that do that, more guys than not. There comes a point where you have to make a decision. I was blessed. My parents were in church every Sunday. They had me in church every Sunday. Um, I grew up knowing the Lord. Of course, going to church every Sunday isn't what it's about. But uh, after I played a couple of years, I, I had a couple of roommates that were really good guys, spiritual guys, and I made the decision, I want to be like them. And uh, from that point forward, I just said, you know what, I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to witness for the Lord. I don't care what happens. I'm going to first uh, be his person, then I'll play ball second. Cool. Well, um Growing up in this church, it's been the habit of this church for decades. Most weekends, I would say three out of four weekends, we say the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. How's that working out? You know, that's always been kind of a special uh, 
obviously a special prayer to a lot of people, but thy kingdom come, thy will be done is a special part of that prayer that uh, keeps me grounded. It always has. The, the thy kingdom come part, I mean, let's fit, they're talking about Jesus coming again, right? And scripture tells us that when he does come again, he's going to bring all the saints with him. And um, I want to be one of those saints. It, it helps to keep things in proportion. It's important to accomplish your goals and your dreams and so forth. God gives us gifts, you know, to use, and, and we need to do that. But it's all perspective because when, when that trumpet sounds and the Lord comes to establish his kingdom here on earth, I want to be one of those guys he brings with him. Cool. Would you thank him? Thanks, Ro. So the goal here uh, today is to see if we could take what Ro learned, your kingdom come, your will be done, and bring it into some perspective for all of us. As a matter of fact, could I get you to take your Bible, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 6. It's, it's about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. I uh, would invite you to take it home as our gift to, to you today because we're seeing how the stories of our lives intertwine with Scripture, and we're going to look a little bit of some things that Jesus had to say here in Matthew chapter 6, uh, where Jesus, uh, speaking to his disciples, gives his, um, well, among the many things, he says, by the way, this is how you should pray. Uh, and you guys in the video booth, we're on page 2, okay? We'll move forward a little bit. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's Jesus, God's son, a bunch of people standing around him, looking, listening, and he's saying, hey, this is how you'd approach God. This is how you'd pray. And it's appropriate that this is not the only prayer you can pray, but if Jesus says this is, this is a good way to pray, a good way to get started in prayer, uh, they're vast, they've obviously asked for some instructional model prayer, and in a few brief sentences he gives us, well, maybe your prayer should cover these sorts of topics. For example, do you notice that he says, start by acknowledging the power of God and start by worshiping God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Start by acknowledging who God is and worshiping God, then step into what you need. And that's, that wasn't particularly new with Jesus, in all honesty. The uh, psalmist, more than a thousand years earlier, had expressed the same thing in Psalm 100 about how What's the way you get into God's presence? How do you get before God to bring to, you the th bring to God the things you need? He says in Psalm 100, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. If you want to come into the presence of God, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. This is the way in which the psalmist says, if you want to get into God's presence and speak to God, then uh, start by praising him. That's the way you get in the door. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's the protocol for approach, approaching God. You don't just suddenly say, hey God, you know, my aunt you know, needs prayer or whatever. It works, but Jesus says a better way be to acknowledge. Maybe this would explain it. If you were invited to go to Buckingham Palace this week and help the queen celebrate her 90th birthday, I would hope that if I showed up there, there'd be somebody who would be, take me aside and say, okay, you're going to go into her courtroom, into her space, 
And uh, there are some things to do and some things not to do. And, you know, it's kind of like learn, learn the protocol. And I can only imagine what it would be like. Can you imagine what it would be like? You come up there and those beef eaters, the guys in, the, in their, their red tunics down here, you've seen them, right? And they open the doors. And these, these big, tall, 14-foot doors, I can imagine. And, you know, thick oak like this. And it takes one guy with all his might to push that door and another guy to push that door. And they kind of swing open. And there's this big room in front of you, hard floor. And you walk in and those doors go close behind you and they just seal shut. <laughs> like that. And then you've got your heels meeting that hard floor, and you don't know if you should walk fast. No, that's too fast. And you, can you imagine your mind is all kind of messed with, how am, I, how am I supposed to do this to go in front of the queen? Well, if you would have those questions regarding going to visit Queen Elizabeth, what kind of questions should we have when it comes to visiting God? The psalmist says, Step into God's presence by offering praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. He says, here's how you get into God's presence. Worship, sing songs, enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's one reason why most worship services here at First Christian, we begin with some sort of musical, not a presentation, but a musical event where we're inviting everybody to be engaged. And I know not everybody sings well, and I get that, and, and I, I know that you go, oh, do, I want, do I want people to hear my voice? I, I understand all that. And, but I would say our worship time, our singing and, and declaring God, it's not a 15-minute warm-up to the message, and it's not a 15-minute warm-up to communion, and it's not a 15-minute, hey, I'm out in the lobby, I'll wait till they're done, and I'll get there and done with, I'll, get into the, I'll walk in the room doing, doing the important stuff. No, the important stuff, among other things, is us declaring the praise of God. And so if I could be the dad for just a minute to everybody in the room, Make certain that when worship starts, you're participating, you're engaged, you're not just kind of standing, well, I wonder when they're going to get over with this. Because I know sometimes, particularly us guys, who are we kidding? I get it. Men don't grow up in life saying, man, I wish one day I could go to church and sing. Some do, but a lot of guys go, at eight years old, I wish I could grow up and play baseball. That's what we want to say, right? I'm, and I... I I get all that, but can I declare for the people of First Christian Church, a culture exists that we are a people who declare the praises of God because we're very clear what Scripture says, that that's the way we enter into God's presence. And, and Peter, I mean, um, Jesus says the same thing. In this model prayer, he starts the prayer with praise. He says, hallowed be your name. In other words, we revere your name, God. We pay attention to aware, an awareness of who is God and who is human. And that brings us into God's presence. And then once we're in God's presence, through that praise, we can start bringing our petitions, our requests, our needs to God. And that's exactly what Jesus says to do. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is your model prayer. Next thing to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Roe was talking about. Lord, we need, here we are in your presence, we've declared your name, and we need your kingdom here on earth. We need your vision for this earth to come into play. We need your kingdom to come. And I want you to notice, friends, that right at first glance, this business of kingdom is not all about Wayne Kent. It's not all about you as an individual. Now, in all honesty, hear this clearly, God is definitely interested in you as an individual. Jesus Christ came as not only God's representative, but as God's son, as fully God, with many goals, 
Humanity's redemption is one, but Jesus also came so that your life would be full and complete. But that full and completeness is only done within the context of a global-wide, cosmos-wide matter. In other words, God is interested in you, yes, but not you alone. In the long run, God's vision for humanity is about your, how your life is complete and full, only within the context of a fully alive and spiritually engaged cosmos. In other words, it's not just about you. It's about you and others. It's about this big kingdom, this big ideas of how God wants to transform our lives as individuals, but our life as a human race, our world, our cosmos. And too often we approach Christian spirituality. If it's all about the individual alone, we cry, and it's all about me. Well, not exactly, friend. In the long run, yes, you and I are included. But God's plan, God's kingdom goes beyond each of us. And we don't really often like that. We don't, you, know what, you mean God's got things for me to do beyond what I can imagine? Yeah, God does, beyond what you can imagine, beyond who you are. There's lots of stories of that. Familiar with a guy by the name of Jonah? You think of Jonah and the big fish, and he got swallowed by a big fish, and you think that's the story? Well, that's part of the story, a story we tell the kids. But there's way more to that story. Here's the, do you know what's going on there in the story of Jonah? Oh, some 800 years before Jesus was born, uh, there's a guy by the name of Jonah, a Jewish guy, and there's a nation called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians wiped out a bunch of Jonah's extended family. That's another ex long extended story. But in a nutshell, Jonah, you could imagine, hated the Assyrians. And he knew they were far from God. He knew they were headed to hell. And as far as he was concerned, that was all right. It's all right by me if they go to hell. It's basically what he was thinking. Yet God said, Jonah, go preach to the Assyrians in their capital city, Nineveh. And I'm going to let them start a relationship with me. And so he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why would you want to go and preach to your enemies and let them have a relationship with God? Nineveh. Who wants to go to Nineveh? Here's how maybe I could make this more clear to you. You're familiar with um, the struggle that we in the West are having with ISIS at present. And if you would want to think of how much Jonah hated the Assyrians, think about how much people here in the West, we hate what ISIS is doing, right? Incidentally, just a few weeks ago, ISIS took the ancient cities of, gates of the city of Nineveh and blew them up. Here's a couple photos of before and after shot. Ironically, of Jonah's place where God was sending Jonah to go. What ISIS has done to the ancient city of Nineveh. But if you want to know how Jonah really felt about Nineveh, then maybe I could tell you another story, not just about ISIS, what they've done to Nineveh, but more so what they've done to some of our people. Does the name James Foley ring a bell? James Foley, an American journalist who 18 months ago was executed with a sword, beheaded by ISIS. In the video that was posted on YouTube, you can see him kneeling beside a man dressed in black. And he reads and says this, I wish I had more time. I wish I could have the hope for freedom to see my family once again. And then he was beheaded. The White House said this in response to the execution. We are appalled by the brutal murder of an innocent American journalist, and we express our deepest condolences to his family and friends. You want to know how much Jonah hated the Assyrians? Think about how much the Foley's hate the group called ISIS. That's how much Jonah hated the Assyrians. They had destroyed part of his family, and you 
you can only imagine how, I mean, if you feel this about that young man being killed that way, or just being killed in period, how do you think Jonah feels about his family being killed or the Foley's feel about their son being killed? And God says to Jonah, I want you to go preach to the Assyrians. Any wonder he ran away. Any wonder he ended up in a big fish. But you know, God had a different idea in mind for the Ninevites and for the big picture. And of course, if you know the story, Jonah eventually did go to Nineveh. He eventually did preach. And wouldn't you know it? As much as he hated it, he never did like it. He complained the whole time. Wouldn't you know it, those people repented and started a relationship with God, and he still was complaining and bitter about it. But Jonah did learn this, that God's kingdom, God's plan, God's vision, perhaps, not only sometimes, but may I suggest often, if not, I would be inclined to say almost always, God's vision always exceeds our understanding. And that's what Jesus is saying. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You get the big picture, God, far better than I do because you're God, I'm not. Hallowed be your name. But even with that, though, with that big understanding of who God is and what God is doing, Jesus does let it drill, does drill down a little bit into what's next. Look again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then... Give us today our daily bread. So you got the big stuff. You got God being God. You're in his presence. You got all that big stuff. And then he says, oh, by the way, I, I, God, I've got some daily things. There's some things about my life. Not just the big stuff, but my life as well. And Jesus says, go ahead and bring those needs to God. You know, I like it. Okay, big. And God, by the way, I need... I. I need some resources in the bank because I've got to have some daily bread in the pantry. And I've got some physical issues that are really plaguing me today, and I need you to be engaged in those. I've got some settings within the family where I go, God, can you get engaged in this? And, and, and really, God, when it comes down to it, as you give me my daily bread, would you teach me to manage my resources wisely, my daily stuff? Not just my money, but everything that, from everything that my life in, is in. Monday morning, I got a lot of stuff in front of me that day. Can you teach me to manage that? Again, the psalmist echoes what Jesus said. In Scripture, we read this. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. If I, if I listen to Roe's story, and Roe and I have known each other now since 1993, I would say that that's really it. Knowing Rose stories. Teach me to figure out how to do today. Give me wisdom for the events of this day to number my days. Because if my life has twists and turns, some of those twists are my things I've done. Some of the turns are, have been forced upon me by others. But Lord, I truly pray, your will be done. Teach me to number my days because I truly need a heart of wisdom. I need that sort of understanding. Don't you? Isn't there are stuff, there, there are things that you face this week that are unique to your family setting. I mean, others may have gone through before, but the way it's playing out in your family or in your household this week, you'd say, God, <laughs> I love who you are. I love your hallowed name. I, I, I've come into your presence. I'm, I'm glad to be part of the big picture, but can you help me figure out this, this small part right here? Give us today our daily bread. Let me see if I can make this personal for you. Um, 
As you know, uh, the major event in our life this year has been uh, that Leslie's father, Cecil, passed away at the beginning of March. His death was both a shock and not a surprise. He had congestive heart failure. There's a timeline to that. There's a way that goes. We knew that. We had some sense of how that was playing out. So we're not really reeling, but on the other hand, we're wondering. What we're wondering about is particularly how we care for Sarah, my dear mother-in-law, because we have to make some very difficult and compassionate choices for her on her behalf. She suffers with severe memory loss, Alzheimer's. She can no longer carry on daily routines. We are presently right now providing uh, 24-hour care for her, round-the-clock care. Somebody beside her at all, at all times, 24 hours a day because she falls. You could ask her what time it is. She can tell you what time it is. You can ask her when are the meals, and she'll say morning, noon, and evening. You can say, is this dinner time? And she'll say yes, if by looking at her watch, but she does not then have the capability to say, I need to eat. Her ability to daily function is gone, and she's losing weight, and we have all kinds of issues in front of us. Um, Can she stay where she is, and all those kinds of things. And you know, here's what I figured out. We're striving to know how to care for her in the best way, in a way that honors her, in a way that loves her, and in a way that enables her to be part of God's big plan. And frankly, what we're praying is, God, teach us to number her days. Not just our days but teach us how to number her days with the wisdom that you provide for us. Isn't that, hey, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. When it gets down to it, isn't that the most appropriate way to live? If you're in the room today and you say you follow Jesus Christ, if you're watching via internet and you say you follow Jesus Christ, And the most appropriate way to live is to say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, and help me with my stuff today. It's the way we live. So that we would have wisdom to know how to number our days. So that we would have hearts of wisdom. Between now and next Sunday, in my calendar, there are seven days. I want one, two, three, four, five, six, seven to best honor God and God's will for my life, for my family's life, for the life of this church, for your life. And my prayer is that God's kingdom would come and be made real to you, that God's will would be done, and that God would watch over your daily stuff too. I want to live there. I want to live knowing that God's presence is accessible to me at all times through worship through declaring how hallowed his name is. So to that end, can I pray for you right now? Father, I pray right now for all of us. I pray for myself, God, if I I could be selfish enough to say that, Lord, I declare the praises of your name, and even as I declare the praises of your name, God, I would say, I want your kingdom to be a reality now. I want, I want your will to be a reality now. And I, I've got some daily stuff that I face tomorrow. I've got stuff that was related to my family, related to my own personality, stuff related to my own career, God, and, and my own responsibilities here. 
Lord, if I pray a prayer like that, then I know that's echoed in every heart here. The particulars may be a little bit different in this space or that space, but it's all the same thing in many ways. For those of us who follow you in Jesus Christ, we're praying that you'd help us to live our lives in ways that reflect your kingdom and your will. And we don't want to be Jonah running the wrong way. Help us to grab a hold of your big plan and see how it relates to us as individuals in our daily plan. Because God, at 8 o'clock tomorrow, there are responsibilities and those might be a little bit different than they are at 10 after 8. And they'll certainly be different than they are at 10 after 3 and different than they will be at 5 after 6 tomorrow night. I need your wisdom, God. That's it. I need your wisdom to know how to live that out. That's what everybody's praying, God. There's some, Lord, maybe in the room yet who don't know you through Jesus Christ, and I pray that you would graciously call them to you. And uh, may they have courage and the ability to pray something simply that goes something like this. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, and uh, forgive me my sin. Let me know what it means to walk with Jesus Christ. I'm willing to go by the name Christian. At least I think I'm willing, God. I'm willing to give it a, uh, give it a run if you give me the heart and the ability in Christ's name. We pray this in his name. Amen.